Good to see you all. This is Advent. I, I'm not sure that everybody knows uh, what Advent is, uh, but uh, my name's Rob. I'm the lead pastor here, and my job in life is to describe exactly what Advent is. So I uh, might as well. <laughs> no, uh, it is the Advent season, and uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, building up to Christmas. Uh, everybody should have one of these little free devotionals. Uh, if you uh, don't have one, put your hand up. Uh, Matthew will run around and give you one. He has one here, Matthew. This side. There. Thank you. Keep your hand up and we'll get one into your hands. Look at that. Uh, I, um, I'd encourage you to use this uh, devotional. It uh, uh, goes week by week. Uh, there's some handy little uh, insights in there, and it helps us to get uh, focused uh, building up to Christmas and to get a little bit more out of Advent, uh, out of the season, than, um, than what we might ordinary, ordinarily do. So uh, I encourage you to just use it. There's uh, one devotion per week. It's not a daily devotional, so uh, with the busyness of the season, it helps you to, uh, to get focused. Uh, we also, for Advent, are going to be uh, focusing, well not focusing, but uh, gleaning from some classical movies. And so uh, you'll see the way this uh, uh, series is set up. Uh, it's more than a wonderful life, uh, beyond a Christmas carol. Uh, so today I want to uh, talk about those two movies briefly. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life by... Uh, you know, the hero of that story, George Bailey, and uh, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens's uh, Christmas Carol. And uh, I, I was uh, watching the Jim Carrey version of Scrooge. And, uh, you know, there's just actually a, a bunch of uh, Christian themes which are running through those movies. And, uh, of course, that's what I want to emphasize. I want to uh, uh, pick up on some of those themes as uh, we, we uh, enter into the season. But uh, if you look at the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, let me just ask this question. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol? Okay, how many of you haven't seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol? Okay, that's, uh, that's 70% have seen it. 10% haven't, and 20% just hate raising their hands like me. Okay, so I, I, I got it. Uh, so uh, most of you, uh, more than most of you, uh, have seen both these movies. Uh, I mean, they're just so classic and traditional, so uh, good for you. But uh, the, the point that I want to do, sort of bring up from this movie, uh, some of these movies, is the Christian theme. And both uh, these movies have an end uh, feel of hope, uh, they, they feel good movies, uh, they end well, and there's a sense of, uh, you know, good that's come out of uh, sort of bad. But in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, we've got uh, George uh, Bailey, he's basically a good guy. Uh, he's helping people out, uh, trying to, you know, in a sort of a uh, low-key banking institution, getting people into homes, uh, people that wouldn't normally afford it. Uh, he's uh, helps them get into uh, into a home and lends people money, uh, and he's basically a good guy. But uh, finally, pressures of life uh, get to him, and uh, the pressure of his work gets to him, and he finds that he becomes totally depressed and suicidal. 
And so uh, those of you that know the movie, uh, he's you know about to jump over the bridge and commit suicide. Uh, when uh, we get this other Christian theme where God gives an angel uh, to save his life. Uh, and uh, so the angel, uh, this, uh, you know, kind of comical in a sense, because I don't think it necessarily looks like a biblical angel, but you know, you got this chubby guy, no wings. and But, uh, you know, he says to, uh, to George, okay, so look, uh, you know, what is your prayer? What are you asking for? What is your wish? And he says, well, I just, uh, you know, wish I'd never been born. I mean, I just, you know, I'm just, he's just so depressed and says, okay, so your wish is granted. And then uh, as the movie unfolds, you see uh, George Bailey go through the town that he uh, is grown up in, and it's really taken a turn for the worse, and uh, things are pretty dark, and all the familiar people that he uh, he had his friends, none of them know him, none of them recognize him, and uh, he's really pretty depressed. And so the way the, the movie ends, after he's pretty nasty to his wife and pretty nasty to his kids, uh, he realizes, wait, he, he, you know, he did make a difference in others' lives, and, uh, and he does have friends, and if you do have friends, it's really significant. And so he has this complete uh, change of heart, and he becomes really excited, and everybody rallies around, and uh, uh, he overcomes his financial crisis because everybody chips in and, and helps him out. And, uh, you know, just a, a, a wonderful theme of uh, generosity. And uh, likewise, in It's a Christmas Carol, you got Scrooge. He's just, like, totally focused on money. And then, you know, he has the ghosts from Christmas past that come by, and and uh, show him insights into his life, you know, these turning points. And uh, likewise, he has a sort of a, what we would call in church, a conversion experience where, you know, from the inside, God totally changes his life. And uh, he now has hope, and uh, he just becomes super, uh, you know, generous and kind, and, uh, you know, just nice, good, uh, feel-good ending, and uh, again, angels involved, uh, you know, the whole uh, uh, Christmas uh, theme. So uh, with that as sort of a backdrop, uh, let me just, uh, let me just uh, uh, pray. Uh, what I want you to get out of this service today is a sense in Advent that we have hope and we have peace, not just words that we can talk about, but that we can experience hope, and we can experience peace. Uh, and again, not because we make it up, because we put our trust in Christ, who is hope and peace. He imparts it to us. He infuses it to us. He gives it to us. So, uh, Jesus, I just ask that you would do what only you can do. Uh, Lord, just as uh, in those movies, Lord, there's a transformation, uh, not because, you know, we're able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because you change our heart. And uh, Jesus, I just ask that you would uh, empower my preaching today and that you would change hearts that are here today. And Lord, any that might feel discouraged or, or need like a, you know, a help with hope or, or don't feel at peace and, and need to feel peace, uh, Lord, I just pray that they can experience hope and peace in you and that it's uh, really real. And so I'll just lift up our service uh, today to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, 
Well, as um, we were talking about uh, Advent, uh, this is a, uh, a word that not, not everybody fully understands, but Advent in the traditional sense means uh, expecting somebody of notoriety to arrive. And in the Christian calendar, we saying, well, Advent is the expectation of Christ's arrival, uh, both in the first time Christ arrived, and uh, here we're looking at all the Old Testament, all the prophecies that have been said about Christ, and there's this waiting and this anticipation, and, you know, the years go on, and the decades go on, and, and you know, finally uh, Christ arrives, uh, and we certainly expect that as part of Advent. But it's not only that, it's also now that we're living, you know, in the New Testament times when Christ has already arrived uh, as a child in a manger. Uh, we now look forward to the second coming of Christ and we're saying, you know what, this world is not right and it's not perfect and we need a, a ruler and we need a king and we need somebody that can lead us and, and rule uh, with righteousness and with fairness. And so there's this uh, desire, this expectation, this hope that we have as believers, as Christians, to say, come on, Lord Jesus, you know, when are you going to uh, show up again on this earth and, and set things right? So we live between the times, but after the first uh, coming of Christ and not yet before the second coming of Christ. We, we're waiting for, uh, for Christ. And uh, as an example, I just chose this uh, maybe a little more obscure verse from Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. Now, uh, understand that Malachi was writing this prophecy like 400 years before Christ or 350 years, you know, before Christ, uh, a significant amount of time. And uh, as a prophecy, he says this in chapter 3, verse 1. Look, I'm sending a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And now we, of course, live on this side of this prophecy. And indeed, God did send John the Baptist. He did send a messenger to prepare the way for Christ. And then in verse, that verse continues, Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Talking about Jesus. The messenger of the covenant, whom you took, who you look for so eagerly, he is surely coming, said Lord of heaven's armies. You know, there's a sense of, look, Jesus is surely going to come. He's surely going to save. He's surely going to make a difference. Uh, and, of course, the thing we all wrestle with with God is timing. You know, just like sometimes God just seems to take forever. And then at other times, God seems to work in our lives. And it's like, wow, it happened so fast. Like, God, slow down. But in verse 2, it talks about Christ's second coming. We haven't got to this part yet. And it says this, But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire and a refiner that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. I mean, there's a sense when, when Christ comes again, as we anticipate, uh, the, one of the reasons we're so desirous of God coming is that He's going to uh, execute judgment or justice. I mean, finally, uh, something fair is going to be happening. It's not just going to be the rich which get everything in this world and the rich which get more and more and more stuff and have more and more and more control. Uh, it's going to be like there's going to be justice. 
everything which has been done uh, inequitably, uh, Jesus is going to judge and he's going to set it straight. He's going to weigh uh, the people's lives and see how, how we've done. And, and it's going to be fair. Uh, so we look forward to that. And then uh, in the New Testament, we got Luke uh, talking about uh, Jesus' first coming in Luke uh, first, uh, chapter 1, verse 68. It says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. You know, so here's Christ. He, it's the first coming, and he fulfills all these prophecies and specifically and miraculously, uh, I mean, very, you know, exactly, I mean, the name of the place, uh, Bethlehem and Galilee, and uh, just, you know, from a descendant of King David. I mean, just uh, amazing, um, sp amazingly specific. And yet, if we look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the last verse in, uh, verses in the book, we're pointing towards Christ's second coming. And Jesus himself, he says this, Yes, I am coming soon. Now we say, well, okay, soon, come on then. You know, it's been a while since that book was written. But Jesus' promise to us is he's coming soon. He says, Amen. Uh, the writer then says, uh, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. You know, and the book uh, closes. Uh, but Jesus is saying, I'm coming soon. And so there's this sense where we, uh, you know, it, sometimes we get this despair. It's like, Jesus, yeah, you're coming soon, but like, come on now. And then uh, there's another sense of, okay, but at any point, Christ can come. And there's a hope and anticipation that Christ will come and that things will be a lot better. Uh, another two plays on uh, an idea here in the Old Testament. We've got Psalm 119, very long psalm. Uh, and Psalm 119 is just a wonderful psalm because it's basically saying the Bible is God's light. Uh, and if we read it, uh, God will direct us. Uh, it'll be a light unto our path. It'll be give us God's instructions uh, as we uh, internalize the Bible, as we seek uh, God's uh, direction. Uh, the, the Bible will help us. And it says this in uh, Psalm 119 verse 105 your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path and then in the new testament we get jesus embodying embodying that and uh jesus like takes it a whole level uh higher and he doesn't just say look read about read the bible to find out all about it he says i am the light uh you know he internalizes it he's saying i am the light and so in, in John uh, chapter 8, verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. If, if, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You know, so Jesus is saying, look, I can give you life. I can give you light. I will direct you. I will be with you. And uh, this, uh, for us that, who believe, it, it's tremendously hopeful. It's like we're not left to our own devices uh, to somehow other be hopeful people or to somehow other be good people. Uh, we are dependent on Christ. And Christ is good and Christ is light and Christ gives us hope 
and Christ gives us peace, and our leaning and our tendency is to lean into Christ. Uh, it's not up to us. Uh, and uh, for some, that's a tremendous struggle because we want it to be up to us. For others, it's a tremendous relief because we're saying, thank goodness there's somebody bigger and better than me. Uh, you know, I've messed up my life pretty well, and uh, I need some help. Uh, and in that sense, uh, God is good news. He's a light to people that realize they need it. And for people that don't, He's darkness. I mean, it's just like, you know, Christianity is foolish, and Jesus is foolish, and this whole Christmas season is foolishness. And, and for many, they just say, I just, you know, let's just get rid of this foolishness. And, and for others, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm just so hungry for Christ. I need more. I want greater light. I want more of Christ in my life. And we're living in a time where this uh, tension is getting bigger and bigger and, and uh, people are either more excited about Christ or, or totally turned off. Uh, there's less and less people which are just neutral. Uh, and so we're sensing, okay, there's, there, there's a tension that's building. And uh, in one sense, uh, we in a period which is uh, where the world was when Jesus first came into it, where there was discomfort and Rome was in power and the believers or the Jewish people were struggling and, uh, you know, the light just seemed to have faded away. And uh, here Christ comes into the world in the most uh, sort of surprising way, uh, the most sort of unimaginable way. Uh, I don't know how somebody as a theologian could have taken all the Old Testament prophecies and, and put them all together and said, okay, this is exactly what it's going to look like. No different to today when people try and put all the prophecies together and think about how Christ is going to return. And for some people, they've got it all figured out and it's exactly mapped. you know. And I just think, you know what? Christ is going to surprise us. Uh, just like he did the first time he came. You know, we've got a, a good glimpse of what it's going to look like, but the exactness is uh, we have to wait and see. So if we look at this account in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Now, uh, you know, some of you are new to, to faith. Some of you are new to the Bible. Uh, this is a great Gospel uh, to read. I mean, if you haven't read the Bible and you, you think, like, where do I start? Don't start in Genesis. Don't start in the beginning. Start right here. Start in Luke. Uh, and, uh, you know, depending what sort of a reader you are, if you're a great reader, read a lot. If you're not, do a chapter a day. Uh, and ask yourself, what are you getting out of each chapter? What is Christ saying to you? But, but Luke is a good book to start at because uh, we told that Luke, being a doctor, he said, I want to make an account. So I'm hearing all these stories about Jesus. I'm hearing what he's done and who what he's done over here and there. And he says, you know, I want to put an account together. I want to see uh, chronologically what Christ has done. And he writes this account when he can still uh, lean on others and say, hey, you know, you were with Jesus. Uh, what did he do? Uh, how did this really go down? And, and so he goes about writing an account. And so we've got a, a great gospel here of what, what unfolded. And so that's why I would recommend uh, you read it. But anyway, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, for telling the, the birth of Christ. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. It's just a, a, a comp loaded uh, section there, just a beautiful section. You know, we've read these verses again and again, uh, but, you know, when you think of what's unfolding at this time, it, it's, uh, as Mary is experiencing, I mean, it's like confusing, uh, she's nervous, but she's extremely encouraged, and there's a tremendous amount of hope, and it's like, what does this ex exactly mean, and, and how is this going to unfold, and... Man, a, an angel appearing to me, you know, it's like, okay, how am I supposed to deal with that? That's scary. I don't, you don't see angels every day. And uh, there's a sense in one way that Mary is, uh, you know, larger than life. I mean, she's a virgin and she's going to conceive the Christ. And yet there's another sense where we all relate to Mary. Uh, we, we, we relate to her in a number of different ways. Uh, not that we all going to, you know, especially the guys, we, you know, like, okay, having babies and, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, I don't relate to that. But we relate to the sense of being an average person uh, of, like, no notoriety. And yet God, like, shows up. He shows up in your life. He shows up in my life. And he says, uh, you know, you can be your, my child. You can be a follower of me. You can be included into God's family. And for us, it sounds, wow, that's just more glorious than we can ever think of. Uh, you know, what does that mean? How do we do that? And, uh, and, and yet Christ is in, inviting us in here. But in, in a sense of hope, uh, if you're filling in the blank, I, I want to say this. Jesus, with Jesus, it's a wonderful life, uh, just as the movie is titled, uh, because we have hope. There's a sense where we have hope uh, in Christ. And uh, with, you know, Picking up Mary's story, uh, he has like five thoughts on how we have hope uh, that we can identify with Mary. One is, uh, our life is greater than just ourselves. We're part of a bigger story. We're part of God's story. You know, Mary is realizing, wait a minute, uh, you know, like out of nothing, out of being a nobody, she's now grafted into God's bigger story. And you and I, uh, it's not just like our lives are carrying on on our own. We grafted in. God is inviting us to be part of His bigger story. Our lives are part of what God's plan is. Uh, there's a sense of we have hope because it's not just about us and, and what we make it up to be and how hard we work and what we buy and, and what we plan for and what we save for. It's like God is involved and there's a bigger and greater and more excellent and more wonderful story that we are invited to be part of. Uh, there's a sense of purpose. It's not just like random. Uh, there's a sense that God has a plan. He has a purpose. Uh, he wants to uh, invite you to be part of it and uh, move along with it. And we can be part of that purpose. Uh, there's also a sense that we, he says, greetings, you know, favored woman. God is saying to us that we can be part of his family. We can be, we can be his kids. 
Uh, and when we are God's kids, when we understand that blessing, there's a sense of saying, God loves us, He's going to take care of us, and He's going to provide for us, and He's going to direct us. And, you know, as kids, we don't have to, like, figure it all out. We don't have to worry about everything. There's a sense of we need to be responsible, but God's going to do the worrying part, the taking care part, the planning part, the purpose part. Uh, However, when we say we have hope in Christ, when we are God's kids, I think the part that we can most relate to Mary is that this isn't some sort of ideal uh, fantasy, fairy tale story. Uh, the story as God's kids, you and I, as we get excited about the life in Christ, is that our life, like Mary's, is going to have a lot of bumps in the road. You know, the first thing that Mary had to deal with was incredible embarrassment. I mean, yeah, this girl is, she's young, she's pregnant, she's not married, and she's ostracized by society, and she's cast aside, and she's, you know, an embarrassment. I mean, this isn't like, okay, God is upon you, now this is the greatest thing, your life is just peachy and, and roses, and you're just going to be wealthy, and you're going to live in a great comfortable home, and you're going to get birth in a castle and and you know you'll have like a pull-out couch for the dad and you know you'll have food laid on during delivery you know no I, poor dirt poor i mean it's not even like place in hotel you've got to like give birth in the freezing cold and in a manger I, this is the life of reality and yet mary would never say you know when you look at the 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 full life your full life you would never say when you look over your full life, if you put your faith in Christ, you would never say that your life was boring or it was without hope and without purpose. Uh, Christians would say, yeah, we go through very difficult times in our lives. There's definitely the ups and the downs. But when you look at the full scope of your life, you would say this is a rich and rewarding life, just as Christ promised. If we follow Him, our life will be rich and rewarding. And if you look at Mary's life, you'd say, wow, it was like rich and rewarding. No doubt filled with hardship and adversity and some weird turns that she would never have anticipated. But it works out well. Uh, there's an eternal perspective which gives us hope. Uh, we know that in the end, it's going to work out real well. In the end, those of us that believe will be with Christ we will have life with Him forever, eternity. Uh, we will experience uh, perfect love. We will experience perfect health. We will experience a reformed earth, a remade earth, and life here will be absolutely delightful in the presence of God. We, we, we have this eternal perspective which draws us. And there's a sense of, because it's going to work well in the end, we can deal with a lot of difficulties uh, in the interim, uh, we can get through some of this hard, hardship and some of the difficulties. So, uh, in one sense, we have uh, a hope. We have a wonderful hope that we have in Christ, and we revisit that as we move into the Christmas uh, season. But in the same sense, uh, not only do we have hope, we have peace. And uh, if you're following in your devotional, you'll notice I'm combining two weeks together. Because Advent actually started last weekend 
on Thanksgiving weekend, and I just didn't want to start Advent then. I, I want to start it now. So I'm like doing two in one. I mean, you know, we're the vineyard. We don't do things traditionally. I mean, what can I tell you? Uh, some of you would say you're a messed up bunch. I, I suppose I am, and we are. But uh, okay, given that we're doing two weeks in one, and uh, we're doing two thoughts here, both hope and peace. Uh, and uh, many of us, or many of you, uh, are battling, you know, with where we are at this time, uh, where things aren't all that peaceful. In the one sense, you know, there's ISIS, there's a bomb threat in Boston, and, and there's, you know, mass shootings in California, and it's like, okay, this is getting uncomfortable, and, you know, it's getting closer to home, and if it's close to home, there's a sense of anxiety or nervousness. Uh, and uh, there's also, for, for many, it's just like you're going through uh, personal, relational difficulties or job difficulties, you know, Go figure, EMC gets uh, bought, you know, by Dell of all places. You know, is that good news or is that bad news? I mean, some are ecstatic and some are nervous. There's change. Uh, and change always brings a sense of, okay, uncertainty. But as, as Christians, as believers, uh, there is a sense that uh, we are not to be uh, fearful. Uh, we are not to be afraid. Uh, you know, the opposite of peace would be like, I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I'm whatever not. You know, in the Old Testament, this phrase, fear not, or do not be afraid. You know, God says it again and again. He says, Abraham, do not be afraid. And then Joshua, do not be afraid. Now, Joshua, do not be afraid. Now, Joshua, do not be afraid. I mean, do you get it? Do not be afraid. I mean, so part of us as believers, we are not to be afraid. And then you get to Isaiah and God says, do not be afraid. I will be with you. And it's like, okay, we get it. And then the New Testament, God is with us. God gets born, and Jesus is walking around with us. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He'll be with you. In fact, He'll be in you. He'll be part of you. We'll be connected. Do not be afraid. I mean, there's this sort of uh, command, if you would, where Christ is saying, when we feel anxious, when we feel afraid, we need to like cast it aside and say, don't be part of me. I will not be afraid. Uh, Hebrews 13, 6 says this. So you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? And you just read the previous chapters in Hebrews and say, they can do a lot to me, like saw me in half and, you know, like... Uh, but, the, but Hebrews is saying, that's just mere people. We have an anchor. We have an eternity. We have something like to hang on to. And it's not just an eternal pr perspective. It's Christ can be with us now. He's our hope. He gives us peace. And so the Hebrew, uh, the message from the Hebrew uh, author is saying, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. I mean, that's just like, it's more than a promise. It's something we have to internalize. It's something that we, if we feel anxious, we feel fearful, we got to really press into Christ. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a faith exercise. God is not saying, well, understand this intellectually and it'll all work out. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, believe. Trust in me, Christ, and it'll work out. And you won't experience anxiety and you will experience peace. It's a faith exercise. You know, uh, much like... Uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Mary O'Connell is teaching in children's ministry uh, today, 
uh, as a young kid, uh, her parents had all the Christmas presents stacked up in their car, uh, living in Cambridge, and the, uh, the car got broken into and all their presents were stolen. Now, the interesting thing was Mary's mother and father both worked for the church. Her mother uh, was the, the priest's chef and house cleaner, and her dad was like the handyman custodian uh, who worked around uh, the church, and uh, they were both really dirt poor. And uh, Mary's experience was that was the most wonderful Christmas ever because somehow or other, word leaked out that these poor parents, church, you know, like, Church mice, you know, working with the church for nothing. They got these kids, and the kids' Christmas presents all got stolen. Word got out, and everybody in the church did what the church does so wonderfully. They all showed up with gifts. And Mary just remembers, you know, just like the movie, uh, you know, everybody's like coming out, George Bailey just bailing him out, putting cash on the counter, and, and like, you know, there's just like an abundance. Mary remembers that being the best Christmas ever. They were just like Christmas presents were just showing up. She didn't know the presents were stolen. She's just like people were showing up and giving more and more stuff. And you know, they just got this big pile of presents. Just, it's an amazing thing when uh, we experience the, the, the generosity of the church that people, uh, when we've got friends, when we've uh, got brothers and sisters in Christ, when we've got others pulling for us and, and supporting us, and when we've got Christ guiding us and motivating other people's hearts, uh, in one sense, it's really a, a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life being a believer, despite difficulties, despite the ups and downs. Uh, it's a wonderful life. Uh, you know, one of the uh, tests that we have uh, of, of our faith is, uh, well, what do we do about it? How do we uh, walk this out? How do we experience this sort of hope and, the, and this peace? Uh, and how do we pass it on? Uh, and I would encourage you, if you you know enjoy this church uh, during this season, this would be a good time to pass on uh, an invitation to others. Come and join us. Come and hear about Christ. I mean, let me just encourage you. If you can't invite somebody during this season, Christmas, where people are actually talking about somewhat about Christ, or you know somewhere there's Christmas. Uh, hymns and carols going on, uh, you'll never find a good time. I mean, if people are open to coming to church, uh, this is a good season. Uh, and I just encourage you, invite your friends. Let them also have a chance to encounter Christ and to experience what church might be or feel like. But um, I also want to say this. Uh, you know, you might not feel peace. Despite all that I've said, uh, despite what the Word of God says, Despite what, you know, people are saying, okay, I'll be with you, I'll help you. Uh, you're just saying, you know, I, I feel discouraged. Well, here's another step of faith. Now, this doesn't work intellectually. It only works through faith. Every Sunday, we always offer prayer at church. And we say, look, uh, and today I'm saying to you, you know, you, you're not feeling peace. Uh, you don't feel hope. You don't feel hopeful. You're just like, you're feeling down in the dumps and you, you're feeling despair and, and that's the reality. And even though I've tried my best to preach it, you, uh, you still don't feel that way. Uh, God is saying to you, come forward for prayer. Now, this is what happens. I, I know this happens because I've been in your place. You say, what difference is it going to make if I go to the front and I have some 
dumb person on a prayer ministry team lay their hands on me and maybe even speak in tongues, and, and then what difference is that going to make? I'm not asking you to do an intellectual exercise. I don't understand how it works either. What I am saying to you, as a step of faith, you come forward, someone lays their hands on you, and they pray for you, and something happens. I, I, I can't explain it, but I can tell you that it works. Prayer works. When we do what God says we should do, something happens. Peace gets imparted to you. Hope somehow or other is given to you. It, it, like it flows out of the person praying for you. I don't understand the mechanics. I'm just saying, as a step of faith, this is what we do. This is what God is asking us to do. And as we take communion at the end of worship, uh, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, God, I don't understand how this all works. But I want to commune with you. I want to be right with you. I want to receive your peace. I want to receive your hope. I want to get in step with your life. And so God is saying, participate in communion. Like, receive it. Receive my blessing. And so, uh, you know, we would do that. So uh, let me just call up the worship team and, and let's, uh, uh, and let's worship uh, for a little bit. Uh, but let me finish with this uh, thought. You know, when Christ says He's the light of the world, uh, for many, uh, it's like you're living in a dark room that uh, you don't even know what's all there. It's like you're trying to get a bathroom in the middle of the night. You're stumbling over everything that's on the floor and whatever not. But, you know, if you put the light switch on, uh, all of a sudden the whole room lightens up. And in one sense, as we receive Christ, He is the light of the world. He, he lightens everything up. He puts the light on. For others of you, like you put the light on, it's like, geez, I wish the light was off because now I see what the mess my room is. And, you know, it's like, okay, but take a step forward. Christ will help you navigate it. He'll walk you through it. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll help you. But Christ wants to shine light on the darkness in our lives and around us. 